Hello and welcome to the Rugby Post podcast, your brand new rugby podcast. I'm your host, Josh Matthews, and I'm joined by my good friend, Mike Pachetta. How are you today, Mike? Yeah, good, thank you, mate. How are you doing? You well? Yep, I'm really good, thank you. Um, obviously, it's the eve of the Six Nations, uh, biggest biggest rugby tournament in the world, and I'm really, really looking forward to it, expecting big things this year. How about yourself? Absolutely buzzed. Um, less than 24 hours. Um, yeah, exciting times, mate. Yeah, do you know what, as well, I'm really glad that we've sort of decided to record this on the eve of the, the tournament, you know. Um, we had a couple of recordings this week and, and gave it a go and we decided that we wanted to wait until all the teams have been announced. Um, and I think that'll give uh, a nice insight for anybody listening um, n- now that we know who's going to be playing. Um, so before we get started, just to make it clear, again, to anybody listening, you know, we're not journalists, we're two mates who, who met at university, uh, we're not pundits. Um, and we just wanted to put something out there to give a bit of a fan's perspective um, on the tournament, on, on rugby. Um, and so, yeah. Hopefully, you guys will like what you're listening to. Um, if you do want to get involved and you do want to uh, message in about anything that we're, we're talking about, we do have an email address, um, and that is the rugby posts with an S on the end at gmail.com. And we also have a Twitter handle at rugby post one. Um, and that's how you can get in contact with us if there's anything that you hear today that you uh, fancy getting in contact with us about. Um, so, Mike, before we get into the Six Nations, um, I thought it'd be a good idea to give the listeners a bit of an introduction to you and I. So uh, I thought the best way to do that, could you just quickly provide me with your favourite players from rugby history? So we'll go one from history and one contemporary choice. Nice. Um, good question. I, I suppose from history... Uh, just because it comes up in conversation fairly regularly in our friendship group um, in terms of which players might be able to make it at sort of this level against uh, modern defences. And, you know, I, I bring him up a lot, but Jason Robinson, you know, I love his sheer ability just to break uh, first tackle and those dancing feet. I'd, I'd love to see what he could do in the contemporary game. So, um, yeah, Jason Jason Robinson, what a player he was. And your contemporary choice? Um I think from my perspective, I really liked a fit Campagnaro. I'm talking sort of 2017, 2018, before sort of the series of injuries. Um, he was just a player who lit up at Exeter. Um, and then obviously he was unfortunately uh, sidelined at Wasps with, uh, I think he had a broken foot at the time. And, you know, he, he looked like a really dangerous player at the start of last season for uh, for Quinns. And it's such a shame, obviously he's been out for such a long time, but what what a player he is up there with you know the best on his day. Um, so yeah, Campagnaro. Two really good choices there uh, for me. Um, and I know I'm going to upset my dad here because I'm not going to pick a single single England player for either of these. But um, the historical choice for me has to be Brian O'Driscoll. I think he's a legend of the game. I think he's the best player ever to pick a ball up. Um, I don't think there's anything more I can say about the guy that hasn't already been said. And to top it all off, just a lovely fella as well. You'll remember last year we went to the European finals at uh, Newcastle, uh, St. James's Park, and he was absolute gentleman, came over, had a picture with us, chatted with us, and just a, a true gent of the game. Um, and my contemporary choice at the moment is uh, Antoine Dupont. I think he's playing rugby on another planet. Um, he is, for me, far and away the best rugby player in the world at the moment um, and I'm expecting big big things from him going into really agree. The, the games tomorrow yep completely agree with that what a player he is and um, yeah obviously we'll go we'll go into the selection in just a second but yeah great choice great choices I should say yeah, so just so if anybody doesn't know, obviously the games this weekend, we have um, Italy versus France tomorrow in Rome, kicking off at quarter past two. We then have England versus Scotland at Twickenham at quarter to five uh, tomorrow evening. And on Sunday, we have Ireland versus Wales in Dublin at uh, three o'clock. So I think what we'll do, Mike, we'll start by talking about the Italy versus France game. That's the first game we've got coming up tomorrow. So I think that's a good place to start. So... I think probably one of the big talking points going into the game is there's a few of those French stars missing, you know, your Untermax, your Vaca Towers. How do you think that might affect France in this game? I mean, if, if it was against uh, potentially England or, um, you know, Scotland, I, I'd say it might be an issue. Um, against Italy, it's, it's a perfect opportunity for them to sort of check what they have in the locker in terms of their depth. Um, and we talk about sort of missing Entomac, but, you know, Halliburton isn't, you know, that much of a step down. And obviously they've got uh, Louis Carbonell as well, who 
it, you know, the few times we've seen him on the pitch, even internationally, has looked like a real threat. So um, it's nice to see some continuity in some respects as well. Yeah, I think when you look at France, you know, they are building this depth of talent. And, you know, when you talk about depth of talent in, in the in the world game at the moment, you have to look at England and you have to look at France when you look at that depth. And, you know, you look at the, the side that France sent to Twickenham in the Autumn Nations Cup, they effectively sent, you know, BRC team, but in, perfectly capable and took England right to the wire. And I actually heard a quote today saying that, you know, for 79 minutes of that game, they were the better team and arguably unlucky not to win it. And I think we can all agree that England probably got away with one a little bit on the day. So, you know, it's really interesting to see that they've, they've built this, this depth you know, and that they're building really nicely now towards that 2023 World Cup. I think, you know, they, they got to the quarterfinals of the last World Cup, but it seemed that they probably decided that their aim was going to be for 2023. You know, they're hosting it. Um, so I think they're, like I say, they're building really, really nicely towards it. Um, how do you think the impact of Sean Edwards has affected them over the last 18 months? Um, again, uh, you know, we've, we've had this conversation off air, um, but I think in terms of the, um, the professionalism that's been brought and in terms of like the level of fitness that he's demanding from these players to work, you know, within his defensive structure, in some continuity in terms of like the backs, etc. Um, so, you know, they're staying fitter, therefore they're less likely to get injured, but more so we're seeing it across the depth of the team. Everyone understands what's required of them. Um, and, you know, same sort of mantra as, as as Eddie in certain respects, if you don't fit within that mould, you're not getting picked. So um, clearly this sort of cutting edge, particularly in defence, um, and, you know, they're benefiting from it massively. Yeah, I think the big, big part of the success of France over the last 18 months has certainly been the addition of Sean Edwards to that coaching staff. And you know what? Big credit to Galtier as well. You know, he's, he's prepared to pick these young lads. He's prepared to stick them in and give them a chance. And I think they're, they're reaping the rewards of that now, as we've talked about. They've got that strength in depth, very much trying to match England stride for stride. And I think that they're going to be a big, big uh, team in this in this tournament and, and they'll be pushing to win it. You know, they've, they've got to go to Twickenham, but um, I think that they'll fancy their chances in, in any game. And, and it's great to see a team playing with that sort of confidence. Um, you know, there's, there's been a big sort of cliche of French rugby historically that you never know which French side's going to show up. Well, I think we're sort of, we're almost past that now. We sort of know what French side is going to show up. Certainly if it's the one that we've seen, witnessed in the last 18 months, um, you know, obviously there was the, the blip in Scotland. Teams are entitled to that. But I think now we're, we're at a point where we sort of know what French team's going to show up um, and they're going to be very, very difficult to beat no matter who they're playing. Yeah, absolutely. Well drilled. Um, like I said, know, know exactly what they need to do to, to win the game. And, you know, look look at that quality, even just in uh, the, the back row, like Charles Olivon as captain. And, you know, it's good to see Gregory Audrey actually managed to get running out because I know obviously there was a question mark in terms of his availability. Um, and then, you know, Damian Penault on, on, on the bench. What a player he is as well. So uh, really, really excited by, by this uh, French side. And um, obviously almost a shame it's against Italy tomorrow, but, you know, we're expecting absolute fireworks from them. Yeah, and obviously you've mentioned Italy there. So um, I was just wondering, you know, what are your thoughts on the Italians, their chances in this tournament? Do you think they can win a game? I think it's going to be a hard day at the office, um, multiple days um, at the office for Italy, unfortunately. But, um, you know, there are, there are some some players that are capable of, you know, both individual magic, but in terms of the, you know, greater scheme of and feel of the squad, you know, their young uh, average age of 24.3 out of the 32 training squad that was taken out, Um you know, they've got some big ball carriers. Sebastian Negri always looks um, like he's punching holes in defence when he when he catches uh, the ball at pace. And yeah, there's 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 something there's something about this Italian squad um, that I haven't personally seen in I would say the best part of like nine years at least. You know, 2012 was the last time I was this excited about an Italian squad. That being said, I don't quite think they have it there in terms of the depth. Um, it's really interesting that, you know, Franco Smith's opted to go for um, Traore and Riccioni, who obviously recently came back from injury, um, over Fischetti and Zalocchi, who um, over the Autumn Nations Cup were 
you know, exceptional. I think Fischetti actually um, got nominated uh, in in terms of one of the players of of, of that tournament, um, purely down to his jackling, but also you know, being able to to hold some strength at outset piece. So it's going to be interesting to see sort of what reasoning he's he's provided. That I know, you know, Eddie certainly looks at the game as an eighty minute. Um, game doesn't matter about who starts and who doesn't, but it seems that they've got Traore and Riccioni who both have been out for you know injury for a long time and they're just coming straight in, <coughs> excuse me, and getting pushed into the deep end. So it's gonna be interesting to see, see see that battle in the front row. Yeah, so I'll be honest with the listeners at this point. You know, my knowledge of Italian rugby isn't isn't as good as yours. You know, I think if we let everyone know that you are, it's. Italian, you know, you've very much a vested interest in Italian rugby and you, you keep up with it way more than I do. Um, and I, I know that we've, we've spoken in the past and you you tell me on a reasonably regular basis that the, the under-20s level, um, they are incredibly strong. So how do you think Franco Smith can try and bring some of these guys through and integrate them into the main squad and try and, and, and build an Italian side that becomes a little bit more difficult to beat? Yeah, I, I think that's very much the plan um, in terms of the plan that he's trying to execute at the moment. Um, you know, we're talking, I, I already sort of brought out Fischetti and Zalocchi. Um, obviously, Lucchese is um, also from the under-20s. Canone looks like a real test second row. Um, he's from the under-20s. Um, obviously, Paolo Garbisi in midfield, you know, he's he, he's been brilliant for the under-20s and as, as well as obviously um, young Stephen Varney, um, who's only recently 20 himself now. So like there, there's some quality players. Stephen Varney obviously might might be familiar to some of the the English viewers, um, players, you know, down in Gloucester. So uh, quite 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 an exciting young crop. Um got obviously some some visa. I say visa players um, who've just recently come uh, eligible. Montana Ioni, obviously, people know his um, his uncle Digby, um, and you know on the side of that as well, Ignacio Brex, who um, looks amazing. I was watching him last weekend for Benetton as well. Definitely looks like he packs a bit of a punch at um, centre. So to answer your question, I think it's in process, and I think he is slowly pulling. Um, the under 20s are able to compete at this level both you know physically um and and, and tactically um i think you know there's there's a balance there because obviously you don't want to to put force someone into the team too early and then risk getting you know injured um but you know it's leave nothing to lose so so you know it's good that he's experimenting and it's good that he's looking at you know the 2023 world cup you mentioned uh, Monty Uani there. It's interesting you say that because uh, he went to Church Grammar School in Brisbane and my brother actually uh, worked at Church Grammar School for um, a year and was familiar with Monty. So I think um, he said that it's nice to see him getting his chance at international level. Um, I think, you know, Italy are also going to be struggling with the fact that there's a couple of big name players missing there. Um, I think Pelledri is a huge, huge loss. And obviously you've got as well someone like Matteo Minozzi, who's really, for me, and I'm not, you know, you may or may not agree, but for me, he's really added that sort of little bit of an X factor that Italy have lacked for quite some time. Um, and I think that, you know, obviously he's taken the decision to to not enter the bubbles and I totally appreciate that. And we'll, we'll come on to later the 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 risk of, of entering bubbles and, and what that might entail. But um do you think that Italy are gonna really, really miss Pelledri and, and Minazzi? Um obviously not to single out a player because obviously they're both going to get missed. Um but I think in terms of the player that they're going to miss the most out of those two is it's probably going to be Pelledri because we don't have an out and out eight at the moment. Um Michele Lamaro, um, he's obviously recently been almost like uh, shoehorned into that position because of the requirement um, from a national level. So obviously he's been playing that at club level. Um, but I, I really, really rate Jacobo Trula. Um, if you cast your minds back to the uh, Scotland game in um, October, he was up against Stuart Hogg at fullback and Bearing in mind he's 20 years old, he 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 put some you know big shots on for a 20-year-old at fullback. I, I'm really excited to see what he can do. Um, because actually I think we ha- we're, we're not missing 
that much from Trula. What we lack in, you know, offense from you know Manozzi's perspective, we're 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 making up defensively from Trula because he just looks so solid at the back. So um, I think personally, if I had to choose one player to be back out of those two, um, I, I, I personally would pick Pelledri straight away. Yeah, I mean, I think Pelleggi will be will be a big, big loss. And um, while we're talking about Italy, there was something that I did want to bring up, and that was around the the refereeing of Italy. And and you know, I um, as a rugby fan, I, I try to you know to stay away from from criticizing referees. I think it's a pointless endeavor. I think they have a very difficult job to do, and I think that they do it to the best of their ability. You know, they have good games, they have bad games, but what frustrates me sometimes when I watch Italy is. I feel that some referees, and I and I don't think it's intentional. I think it's purely, you know, unintentional, and that they don't necessarily realise they're doing it. But to me, it feels like they sometimes go into games with a preconceived idea about how Italy are going to play, and I think that's perpetuated in the way that it's reported in the media and by pundits that they think that Italy are just going to go out there and be ill-disciplined and not be able to hold a scrum up. Um, and and I think that that actually is a, is a little bit unfair. Um, you know, and you watch games, particularly in recent years, because, you know, Italy haven't won a game now in the Six Nations, I think, coming up five years. Um, and in recent years, you watch games and sometimes they've had sort of eight or nine penalties given against them in the first 25 minutes. Now, no international team is going to be able to win a game when they're competing with that level of, um, you know, it's not biasness, because that's unfair, but you know, giving away that many penalties, because um, you could give you could give a penalty every almost every rook, couldn't you? Um, so yeah, I, I just I just find sometimes that referees maybe have sort of subconsciously a bit of a preconceived idea about the way it's they're going to play. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, it's a very fair comment, um, and I think actually Italy are their own worst enemies. Um, it's certainly, as you said, been perpetuated from you know teams in the past um there's there was a very sort of antagonistic relationship between referees i'd probably say uh from 2010 to sort of 2012 italy wanted to play be be that team that got under you know the team skin and and played that niggly rugby and i i, I think obviously that's worked against them uh, to their detriment obviously as as we've progressed into um the, the, the modern cycle, the new cycle of players, because, you know, these referees probably sat there and watched those games if they were young enough to watch those games or, or officiated in those games. And it's probably a stigmatism associated to the entire national side as opposed to um, individual players. That being said, we're, we're not here to, to complain about refs. Um, you know, they, they've got a difficult enough job, as we said. So, it's one of those things where I, I just hope Italy get the rub of the green. Um, there's certain um, elements of, of, you know, particular points of the game, like you said, right at the start or near the end, where if you were to sort of check their, their penalty count, I'm sure you see sort of the ill disciplines right at the start and right at the end. And, you know, people associate that to ill discipline to fitness, but I think it's just down to frustrations of, you know, amounted to over the game. So um, it's something where, yeah, I just hope they get officiated fairly and, and we'll see what we can do. Yeah, I mean, you and I have talked about rubber the green quite a lot. And I think, you know, there is an element of sometimes you have to create your own look. But I do think, you know, that there could be, a, like you just said then, a little bit fair officiating towards Italy. Um, before we move on to talk about obviously England-Scotland, um, not to put you on the spot, do you think Italy have a chance of winning any games during the Six Nations? I think it'd be difficult. Um, I, You know, my heart says yes. Uh, my head says, not this year. One thing I will say is I, I watched the Franco Smith interview today. It was it was Friday. Um, it came out so today. And there was an aura of confidence that he hasn't um, produced in, you know, these pre-match previews with the Italian press. So that that gives me some, you know, confidence that he, he, he has an ace up his sleeve, but you know, I think my head's telling me um, it's going to be it's going to be a difficult Six Nations for Italy, unfortunately. Yeah, and you know, if I had to offer an opinion on that, I think that they have a reasonable chance of beating Wales later in the tournament. And I'm not saying that just to upset Welsh fans. I just think that Wales are struggling, and we'll come on to talk about their struggles a little bit later in the show. But um, for me, I think that you know, um, there's possibly a chance that Italy could beat Wales. Um, I've got a quick question for you. If you had to pick a player from Italy and a player from France um, as a standout for this this weekend, 
obviously, you know, there's there's probably some key key players in France which will, will stick out. But who who do you think our viewers should be looking out for? So I think the the French one's a little bit easier because you know I think we talked about at the start. I think Dupont is playing on another planet, and I think he's raring to set this tournament on fire. Obviously, Italy's a little bit more of a difficult one, um, but I think there's a couple of players in there that I'd be looking out for. I think that Garbizi at 10, um, I think, you know, he had a promising start to his international career. So I'd be really looking forward to see, you know, how we can fare. It'd be nice to see Italy get a little bit of front football and, you know, see what he can do, see what he can offer. Um, and the other one is uh, Luca Bizi, the captain. Um, I've got high hopes for him at hooker. Um, so we'll see. I, I'd be interested to know, you know, same sort of question to you, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, Gregory Aldrit was an absolute machine uh, last year. Um, he was um, everywhere and you know doing everything. Um, so I think he's probably going to frustrate a few few Italian players tomorrow. He was he was sensational. But that being said, um, you know maybe he's shown his hand too too early, and you know they've got a plan to try and counteract that. So Aldrit certainly for France and. I'm, I'm going to say Marco Zanon for Italy. You know, he's one of those players who um, unfortunately was in the Italian squad two years ago, but um, he, he made that mistake where Italy were, you know, due to beat France um, at home in, in Rome. And he, 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 well, he knocked on over the line. Um, and then from that knock on, Penno ran the length of the field and, and scored the try. And it was one of those frustrating years for Italy. And obviously he was dropped subsequently after that game and you know he's only recently had his opportunity to shine again and he's he's really got a point to prove and you can see he's got the bit under the teeth he really wants to to try and push through and cement his 13 shirt obviously Campagnaro could be back soon um, and he probably wants to give um, Franco Smith a reason uh, not to pick him yeah, so that game, obviously, the curtain raiser for the tournament kicks off at quarter past two tomorrow so let's just hope we get an, a nice competitive game um, I think probably France will win reasonably comfortably but I'd, you know I'd like for it to be as competitive as possible um, I think Italy will be will be raring to go um, so we'll, we'll see what happens moving on obviously um, probably a little bit unfair to say this but the main event tomorrow I would argue is the the Calcutta Cup you know it's the 150th anniversary of um, very famous first international game which obviously Scotland won so I think uh, England will be possibly vying for revenge for that one in the 150th anniversary. Um, what are you expecting to see from England? And I mean that in terms of a playing style, because there's been a lot of talk, you know, pundits, media again, and actually some fans, you know, getting a little bit frustrated with the style of rugby that England have been playing. So what, what are you expecting to see from them? Honestly, I think England will do what needs to be done to win the game. Um, if the if, if the weather uh, is, is going to play a part in it. I think they probably are going to drop those bombs and really focus on the pressure game and, you know, the um, the kick chase, um, try and sort of force those errors out of scrum because obviously they, they, they back themselves at set piece so they can kick and, and, and win. I, ultimately, I think there is a different feel about this, this England squad, particularly obviously having the big ball carrier um, in Ollie Lawrence. I, I think, you know, they're definitely... He's definitely more in tune to, to 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 smashing holes through the midfield. So, um, yeah, it's it's an interesting. Again, really really excited uh, by this England team. I think it there's there's definitely sort of a slightly different feel. And obviously Henry Slade at thirteen. Um, I know you're a massive fan of uh, Henry Slade, so I won't go uh, into that in too much detail. But you know, having that distribution as well um, and and that left foot kicking, he's going to be you know massively impactful. Yeah, I mean, I've been a, always been a, a big advocate of Henry Slade. You know, you, you watch him come through the age groups. He's incredibly talented. He can kick, he can pass, he can make breaks, he can offload. He's just one of those complete players, and I, I always enjoy watching him play. I'm just what I'm sort of more interested in really is is just more around. You know, it feels like in the four years up to the, the 2019 World Cup when Eddie had taken over, there wasn't too many questions about his selection, but it feels now like, you know, since that World Cup, we lost in the final, we didn't have a plan B. It doesn't feel like we've developed that plan B yet. And it also feels like now that there's far more questions around Eddie's selection. Do you think that's fair criticism? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the reason I feel as though this, um, this particular England squad has a slightly different feel is because up until... This, this Six Nations, Eddie's always gone with a 6-2 split, but he's actually bringing an extra back, which makes us think that, you know, he, he wants to play 
ball. He wants to try and sort of move move uh, the ball around slightly more. And obviously, he has George Ford there, who is going to slot in at fly half. But Max Balins is a bit of a uh, utility back. I'm sure, obviously, he can go um, where he needs to be. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see sort of how um, how, how he utilizes the, this team. But I think. From a personal perspective, if we're comparing the plan B player, you know, Finn Russell, uh, if Adam Hastings uh, was fit, I assume he's, he's not fit as to why he's not been picked. But if he were fit, you know, he's probably the the more test attributed 10 that, that you'd expect to see in that position. But Finn Russell, w- what a plan B he is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you talk about Adam Hastings and, and Finn Russell there. You know, Adam Hastings is that 10 who is going to do everything to a pretty good standard and he's not going to you know take too many risks but he's going to kick his goals he's going to he'll kick out a hand accurately his distribution is is fine but he's not that sort of maestro you know that sort of playmaker in the midfield you know he's not going to make things happen in that defensive line you know Finn Russell can is a magician you know he, he can take the ball to the line he can find space he can he can unlock a defense with it with a quick pass you know he's got a bit of pace about him as well I, you know it's sort of it's almost two conflicting philosophies, really, isn't it? When you think about rugby, you know, you think about Finn Russell is very much in the mould of somebody like Danny Cipriani or, or Carlos Spencer. I think they're probably two guys that you would look at and think, do you know what? You can see Finn Russell um, in both those guys or vice versa. You can see Spencer and Cipriani in, in Finn Russell and the way he plays the game. Whereas, you know, Adam Hastings, again, is, is much more that, that sort of very, very safe option. And, you know, it, it's interesting. I think, I actually think, Scotland will miss Hastings if he's out for the tournament. I, I don't know too much about his injury. I know he was injured in the Autumn Nations Cup. I, I don't know if if there's any Scottish fans out there who might know a bit more than us. Please let us know and correct us if we're wrong. But um, I am not expecting him to play in this tournament. So we'll see. Um, and actually, more interestingly, um, in terms of Finn Russell, it's going to be interesting to see how his relationship with Gregor Townsend holds up, given what happened last year. Yeah, and I think actually an element of his um, uh, inclusion in the squad is partly occasion. Obviously, if you've got a player like Finn Russell um, and you know you're struggling at fly half, you play a player like Finn Russell. But I think as well, you know, the occasion's massive for, for Scotland at the moment. They've actually, I don't know if you, you saw this in the news earlier, but they've embroidered the corresponding players from 100 uh, names, excuse me, from 150 years ago. Um, so they're going to come at it with a massive amount of passion. And I think they're up for this, mate. And I'm I'm really excited as a neutral in this game. I'm, I'm really, really excited to see what happens. But in terms of like Finn Russell, you know, if he's playing well, I'm sure... Townsend will give him, um, you know, enough rope to hang himself, as, as it were. If he's playing badly, I think he'll just hang him himself. So um, that's sort of my answer to that. It, you know, I think he's given him, you know, the benefit of the doubt, letting him play the big game because he's one of these players who plays what's in front of them. But we'll see sort of how long he stays in the field. Yeah, you know, you look at that Scottish backline, and actually, you know, there's a real sort of X factor to it now. You know, it, it looks dangerous. And do you think, you know, inclusion of Cam Redpath there? We we got to understand, you know, what reason Townsend's included him. Obviously, he sees something in uh, in Cameron just to throw him in at the deep end. The cow cut. It's uh, it's it's going to be it's, it's going to be a really interesting game for him, <laughs> particularly against England um, with 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 the big midfield. But yeah, talking about that back line, mate. Duhan van der Moer, what a player he is. Like yeah. he, he's, he's been an absolute gem for Scotland. What a find. I think the key for me tomorrow in that game, and I think, you know, this this is the same in a lot of games, but I think even more so tomorrow is that that battle at the breakdown between the back rows is going to be huge. You know, you've got um, Hamish Watson and uh, Jamie Ritchie, uh, Matt Ferguson, you know, who are a very capable, very mobile back row coming up against, you know, this sort of Curry, Wilson, Vunipola, and how is that going to play out? You know, Mark Wilson's not played any international rugby for quite some time now. Is he going to be rusty? Could that have an impact on the game? It's going to be really, really interesting to see because I think ultimately, if you win that battle at the breakdown, you're going to win the game, aren't you? So, you know, Scotland start winning that battle at the breakdown and, and we've talked about, you know, the players they've got wide, they could really hurt England tomorrow. And, you know, I'll remind you what happened two years ago. England drew that game with the last play of the game. So whilst I do expect that England should win this game, um, I'm not going to say it should be comfortable, but I'm saying they should win the game. I, I would expect, you know, sort of five to seven point victory for England. Um 
I would certainly, and I don't think Eddie will allow them to do this, they should certainly not be taking this Scottish team for granted. Oh no, for sure. Um, I'd like to ask your opinion on something, actually. If, if you were Jack Willis, how would you feel um, not being included in this game? Because obviously you're talking about the battle of the breakdown. Um, he's proven himself as probably the Jackler in, in the Premiership, certainly over last season. Um, and, and even prior to him being injured, you know, he was always um, uh, a, a real threat over the ball. So, do you think it's something that he'll take motivation, Mark Wilson, starting over him? Do you think if you were in his position, you'd be slightly demoralised? What, what are your thoughts? I think, honestly, if I was Jack Willis, I'd be sat at home thinking, what more have I got to do? Because I think he's been absolutely outstanding for Wasps over the last, you know, and, and I'll, I'm a Wasps fan, you know, and I've, I've had the joy of watching him play over the last couple of years and he's been absolutely incredible for Wasps. So I would be sat at home thinking, what more have I got to do to, to get in this squad? I, I wonder if there's been is there something that Eddie's seen in him that he doesn't like? Um, and, and I think that Eddie Jones is probably guilty of having his favourites. Uh, and maybe that's slightly unfair, but it certainly feels like that. Yeah, I think there's definitely sort of a core contingent of senior players, which he trusts above everyone else. And I think Mark Wilson, had he not been injured, probably would have been part of that um, that team last year. But it's, it's interesting because, yeah, what more can he do? I suppose uh, Mark Wilson, you know, is fantastic defensively. That's not to say, obviously, uh, Jack Willis isn't. But I think, you know, maybe it, it comes down to sort of fitness and tackle counts. But I, I'd be fascinated to see what uh, Eddie sees in, in Mark Wilson above Jack Willis. Obviously, he's, he's got form. Uh, he's playing really, really well at Newcastle. And maybe that's something that sort of edged his uh, selection, but not to see him uh, on, on the bench at all. Um, I, I think that's that's probably going to hit home. Obviously, Benno, fantastic player, not taking anything away from him. What a player he is and what a hybrid player, is, as, as, as Eddie would be um, sort of suggesting he is. But, you know, if, if you're looking for an out-and-out throw over the ball, um, it seems a shame that he's, uh, he's not in the squad. Yeah, I think particularly as well, when you're coming up against guys like... Richie and, and Watson, you need someone, you need a jackal over that ball. You need someone who's going to be turning the ball over because, you know, Watson and Richie in particular, and that's taking nothing away from, from Matt Ferguson, but th- those two guys have proven themselves very, very, very capable back rowers at international level, and they could cause England some problems tomorrow. So I would have been looking to, to pick someone that can really cause them a bit of trouble at the breakdown and turn the ball over. And I think that's what Jack Willis offers you. And actually, whilst we're talking about Jack Willis, that would sort of leads me on to what I was going to ask you next, really, is do you think that, I mean, and, and obviously Ollie Lawrence is in, in the team, which is great. I'm really, really glad for him. Be interesting to see how he plays tomorrow and actually playing where he should be at 12, not stuck on the wing. Do you think Eddie is playing it a bit too safe? I think I think Eddie is just focused on his win percentage and what he needs to do to to, to get sort of that top five, top 10% out of uh, the performance of the players. And I think what he's aiming to do is include fresh players in, in positions that maybe um, he feels the players are slightly more comfortable or, or starting to stagnate in terms of their progression just to drive that competition because these young guys are going to come in with a massive amount of enthusiasm and a massive amount of energy. And I think it's one of those almost like catalyzing moments for, for these senior players if if they haven't been performing overly well to, to really sort of step up and driving you know that five ten percent you know improvement in performance that that's that's a significant difference on in terms of like how it transmits and translates onto the uh the scoreboard so um i think he's uh, he is playing it safe to answer your question but i think everything he's doing is very measured he mentioned in an interview um, a few days ago that he he aims to try and refresh the team by 10 to 20% every year post World Cup cycle. And, you know, I think he's very selective of the areas that he chooses to to refresh those. And I think if, um, if that wasn't the case, uh, we probably would see Smith over sort of Charlie Atkinson and um, uh, Joe Simmons over Charlie Atkinson. Not to take anything away from Charlie Atkinson, I think he's been a brilliant um, second uh, choice or third choice um, fly half at Wasps. But, you know, unless he sees something I don't, I think, you know, there's there's fly halves who have definitely been banging at that door for long enough. Yeah, so you think 
what we have here as well is we have the contrast in, in styles building towards this next World Cup. So you've got France, to me, who look very, very happy, very comfortable to throw players in, let them play and blood them for the next, for the World Cup because that, that's their ultimate aim is we want to win that 23 World Cup. Yeah. I mean, France arguably, and in fact, it's not even arguably, France are the best team never to win the Rugby World Cup. Um, and it's probably a bit of a crime that they never have done given some of the standard of rugby they've played over the last 30 years. Um, but they are very much building towards that World Cup, whereas I think Eddie plays very much in the here and now and has that more cautious approach of we want to win the next game. And by building that, that culture of winning, he hopes then to take that onto the World Cup and they go in. And that core group of players understands how to win the tough games because they're going to come up against a team like South Africa again, who is going to be you know, tough to beat and they need to work out how, when they're in games that are, that are going wrong for them, how can they change it to win those games? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I've, I've certainly said it in the past, I, I genuinely think Eddie Jones is one of, if not the best coach in the world. And I think the fact that he's looking beyond uh, rugby as a sport and, you know, he looks at, uh, I know I know he's a big fan of cricket, but he looks at cricket and he's, he's been speaking um to, to football coaches because obviously he sees that as the next step for rugby um, and the progression of rugby, like to tr- try and gain some insight and gain even, you know, from ways to motivate the players to how he can then gain the next five, 10% from um, an SNC or, or, or skills background. That for me is, 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 is what sets him apart from maybe some of the other coaches. He is so forward thinking. And I think one of his mantras is, adapt or die or evolve or die so he's trying to create a team who has that sort of instinct to adapt to a situation and just see through it and if that means winning ugly or if that means you know booting the ball into the sky and and chasing that really effectively that that's that's what's gonna be done to win the game and uh, you know it's almost like win at all costs he's, he's trying to get that sort of marine mentality in these players and I love that personally I really love that and I can see the frustrations from a lot of the English players because we see some really talented prospects in in the prem um and you know sometimes they get a call up for the initial training squad sometimes they don't and, you know, whether they're included or excluded, you know, I'm sure there's probably more political reasons behind it than you know, you and I know, Josh. But I think um, it's, it's one of those things where he's just trying to see how to win the next World Cup. And he, that, that's just his focus. And I think he wants to win. He just wants to win every game. He wants to win everything. He wants, he wants the players to have that mentality, just win, win, win um, at all costs. Yeah, and I say I think this is probably the first point where you and I are slightly different in our opinions a little bit, and because I think for me, I personally, I just like to see a few more risks. Um, I personally, I think, given all the talk about Adogwu and Randall going into this this tournament, I would like to have seen one of those two guys on the bench tomorrow. Um, probably Randall, because I think obviously you've got Malins in there as well, who's been absolutely brilliant for Bristol, particularly this last six months. So he's absolutely earned his spot on the bench. Um, I'm surprised he's not starting, actually, because I think Daly arguably been a bit lacklustre, but I understand why he keeps picking him because obviously he's got that huge boot and it's a massive asset to have in any game. Um, but I think I would like to have seen Randall on the bench. Yeah, see, uh, again, um, for, for, for those of you who don't know, I think for me, it's it's about at test level, particularly sort of the pressure of the Calcutta Cup and how um, the, the British media tend to crucify young players um, i.e. Furbank last year in France. Um, I, I I think it's better to, to go for a slightly safer option and protect the players because there's some of those comments and, you know, when you start doubting your own ability, some players don't, don't ever come back from that. And I think there's an element of protecting the player and there's an element of risk versus reward just selecting them. So, you know, these players can grow into these, you know, well-established test players and, you know, they're calm and collective in pressure situations. But also on the other side, there's, you know, a player that, you know, starts putting their head down and, you know, there's, there's a few drop balls here and there and the, uh, they're absolutely castigated by, by, by the press. And I think, you know, Harry Randall was... He's, he's just such an attractive player to watch the the game that he plays. Like he's he, he entices players, he entices uh, the team, and he galvanizes the entire team. Uh, and, and Bristol is probably playing the best rugby in the Premiership, arguably uh, in Europe. Although I'm sure the French teams would probably argue that. Um, but they're you know 
and, and he's at the center of it. Um, so really, really excited um, to see his inclusion, you know, possibly against the Italy game, but I, 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 I certainly wouldn't risk it against Scotland. Yeah, you see, this is where I, I'm not quite sure how you integrate someone into the team if all you're ever going to do is wait for that Italy game every year. There's, there's got to be another point. As, uh, you have to say, do you know what? We've got to take that risk. And actually, do you know what? The amount of rugby that Dan Robson's played at international level probably amounts to about four full games anyway. So I don't see that they'd be losing that much by picking Randall over Robson on the bench. That's just my personal feeling. Um, I, what I'd be really interested to hear is from anybody listening you know, would you like to see Eddie take more risks? I think is the question. And I think that's a, a fair question. Yeah. And, and obviously before, before we move on um, again, two, two players to, uh, to look out for uh, from either side. Um, I think from a Scottish point of view, um, I'm going to be really interested, obviously to see Hamish Watson. Um, I think brilliant player, absolutely brilliant player. I love Hamish Watson. Um, and I know you are a massive fan of him as well, so I'm really sorry for stolen yours there. Um, <laughs> no worries. <laughs> you have, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Um, I can try and go with another one. Uh, I think Jamie Ritchie's a good player as well. Um, so I'd be excited to see, um, you know, if, uh, you heard me earlier talking about how good I think that back row is. So both those guys, really. Um, and from an English point of view, I am really excited to see what Ollie Lawrence can do. You know, I think he's finally been picked in the position that he's meant to be playing in. Um, it'll be interesting to see what he can do at test level. So we'll see. And for you? Yeah, no, just just want to completely agree with both selected. Ollie Lawrence, just, I, I expect him just to absolutely smash that defence up and just suck uh, the defenders in and, and create space for the, the, the rapid wingers that they've chosen. But um, yeah, obviously I was going to go Hamish Watson, <laughs> uh, but um, I, I'll, I'll swap um, my choice and say Stuart Hogg. Um, again, not, not trying to be vanilla here because everyone knows um, how good a player he is and particularly sort of, you know, what he's done in the premiership, you know, I think he's actually improved, if anything, um, over his time at, at Exeter. But I will say uh, he's, he's you know, a Scotsman to, to the core. So maybe, you know, the occasion might make him rise and improve that performance by, again, that 5-10% required to, to, to get the best of the opposition. You know, he might, he might get lost in the occasion, but he's certainly someone who, if he plays well, he is a world beater. So really excited to see sort of how he fares tomorrow. Um, and from an English perspective, um, I'm I'm really excited uh, to, to sort of see how uh, Mark Wilson plays because the spotlight is going to be on him um, wrongly or rightly. You know, no one wants to see a player under pressure, but he's, he's come in, he's taken um, Willis's spot because obviously he's, he was playing during the Autumn Nations Cup. So it'd be interesting to see sort of how he fares. He might come in and have an absolute stormer, um, 28 plus tackles, none missed, um, five turnovers. He, he might have a brilliant game, but um, yeah, I'm really, really excited to see sort of how he reacts to being picked. Just before we move on, because we do need to talk about um, obviously Ireland and Wales as well, but just while he's mentioned Mark Wilson, what I find really interesting about his inclusion is if you go back sort of three or four years, I think most of us would have been saying Mark Wilson should be one of the first names on that team sheet. You know, he was absolutely fantastic. And it almost felt like it, 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 his time was done and it had gone. And, and now he's been brought back in. And I think there, there is an element of a few people scratching their heads do you think that's a, maybe a little bit unfair? No, no, I, I think that's completely fair. Um, he he has very much, um, you know, resurged from the depth. Um, he's one of those people who, you know, you're right. You know, this strength in depth in the back row just came so suddenly with with Sam Underhill and you know Tom Curry, the Kamikaze kids. But even before that, you know, before Tom was picked, Ben was picked, and that you know, he's one of those players who. Um, it's probably quite unfortunate that got that he got injured when he got injured because you'd expect him to to, to have played you know throughout the whole time that he was injured and, and potentially we would have missed out on you know those those quality young players that you know you, you suggested we should have integrated so there's definitely that that side to it um, but I think it's because of the form that he's brought um, at, at Newcastle and obviously arguably there's going to be a lot of people who. I disagree with the next statement, but arguably, um, 
you know, Newcastle were overachieving where they are in the Premiership, having just come from the Championship. But um, he is definitely a player who um, is standing out week in, week out and putting his hand up for for that Newcastle shirt. So be interested to see how, you know, how, how he translates that to, uh, to the England shirt. Yeah, so lots to look forward to in that game. And that game is at quarter to five tomorrow evening. And both those games tomorrow are being shown on ITV for anybody that's interested in watching them. Although I suspect most of the people listening to this probably know that already, but I thought I'd let you know. Um, last game of the weekend, uh, we've got Ireland versus Wales. Um, really interesting matchup, I think, this one. Um, I think both teams are struggling for a little bit of identity at the moment. What are your thoughts? Yeah, um, very, very sort of separate issues uh, in their own right. I think Ireland, obviously, they focus on defence. Um, they've got, you know, some brilliant players. Like looking looking at that team, you know, they've got some absolutely stunning players. Um, but um, I, I suppose the issues from, from, from most of the Irish uh, support that certainly what I've seen online is they, they don't know where the tries are going to come from. They don't know how this attacking shape is going to form. And, you know, maybe Andy Farrell's uh, got a few aces up his sleeve and he's, you know, only been showing what he wants to show in the Autumn Nations Cup because he, he wants a Six Nations ground slam. He wants a Six Nations win. There's, there could definitely be an element of that. Um, obviously, we've seen how solid Ireland can be um, defensively. Uh, but, on, on the other side, we saw sort of how much they attacked England uh, during the Autumn Nations Cup and how defensive England needed to be. So it's one of those, Ireland are one of those teams where if it clicks um, going forward, you know, I'm not sure how fit Sexton is, if I'm honest, um, and I'm not sure uh, how how many more seasons Sexton and Conor Murray will be around, but, you know, they're probably seeing this as, as, as one of their last hurrahs and they probably want to sit there and, um, contemplate a way of winning, uh, winning the Six Nations full stop. Um, Wales, on the other hand, you know, Josh Adams, uh, obviously, let, let, let's say unfortunate accident, um, because it sounds better than crass stupidity, um, is no longer... No, do, you, no, do you know what, mate? I'm going with crass stupidity. I think it's absolutely... I think his behaviour is outrageous. I really do. And, and do you know what? I know that's quite strong and might upset a few Welsh fans, but if I was a Welsh fan going into this weekend and our probably our best winger over the last couple of years and taking nothing away from George North has been a fantastic servant over the last 10, 12 years. But if you look at the last couple of seasons, Josh Adams has been their premier threat on that wing. Um, to then go and breach the COVID rules like he did, I would be absolutely fuming. Yeah. Uh, like I said, completely agree with that statement. Um, and, and, you know, that it's, it's, it's unfortunate because obviously this team uh, would have trained, uh, albeit for like a week or so before, um, you know, they all know what's expected of them in their, um, in their specific positions and, you know, how uh, they come together as a team to, to try and win this game. And that sort of just core attacking threat is just left um, and for a minimum of two weeks. Although personally, I, 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 think he's abused his position of privilege. Um, and, and this isn't, you know, because he's a Welsh player. I'd say the same if he was an Italian player. I, I just think Wales need a win so desperately. And he's almost um, he, he's almost not taken this, well, he hasn't taken this seriously. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not really fair for the... Um, for the Welsh fans who have been, quite frankly, patient to date. And, you know, someone like that who's in a position where, you know, not only is he a public figure and, you know, he gets to play the sport, he's not honouring the shirt and he's not honouring his opportunity. And I think that speaks volumes um, for, for, you know, maybe some more impressionable viewers or, or, or some young people who he probably is their idol to. He is, like you said, Wales's best uh, winger and he was probably one of the first people I would write into a Lions team. So um, it'd be interesting to see if that exposure uh, or, or the non-inclusion, um, so the lack of exposure from, from this uh, Six Nations is going to go against him. Um, <laughs> that being said, Louis Rees-Samit, um, LRZ, um, what a player he is. And, and I'm great, really grateful to see him play. He's been brilliant for Gloucester, um, certainly last season. Uh, 
be interested to see sort of how he steps up. He had a good Autumn Nations Cup, uh, in my opinion. Um, yeah, really excited to see sort of how he does. I mean, what's, what's your thoughts on, on, on both teams' um, identity and, you know, some of the more contentious issues that have arisen over the past week? Um, what are your thoughts, mate? Well, I'll, I'll take take them sort of one at a time, but I think, you know, um, really interested to see LRZ. Um, he's been really, really good for, for Gloucester this last sort of 18 months. So be interesting to see, you know, Josh Adams has, has almost surrendered his place really to a, to another player. And if, if LRZ comes in and, and tears it up, you know, Josh Adams might find it tough getting back in. He's banned for two weeks. That's the first two weeks of the competition. If, if LRZ goes out and scores a hat full of tries, Adams might find himself in trouble. And, and you know, speaking speaking of Adams, again, you know, I, I, I don't want to don't castigate the lad, but you mentioned there about Italy. And Matteo Manozzi made the conscious decision that he felt that he couldn't do the bubble for seven weeks. And he chose to withdraw himself from that squad. And I have a, a huge level of admiration for someone doing that because it can't be easy. But what I don't expect, and I would not expect this as a Welsh fan, is for a player to go, yeah, all right, I'm going to do it and I can, I can do it, to then break it on the eve of the tournament. Yeah, he's, you know, uh, he's let he's he's let his teammates down, but he's 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 let you know the Welsh fans down completely, and 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 that's what I was honestly just about to go on to say is he's he's let the 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 team down, he's let the coaches down, and and most importantly, he's let the fans down. You know, he's been like I said a couple of minutes ago, he's been one of their better players this last few years, um, and I and I just think that it's really really naive at at, at best. Um, and at worst, it's just us and them sort of attitude. It's like, I'm going to get away with it because I'm Josh Adams sort of thing. And, and you know what? Maybe he hasn't done that, but that's certainly how it comes across. Yeah, I've actually got a quick question for you for Wales. Um, and it is uh, about someone who's not included in um, the starting 15 or on the bench. Um, Liam Williams, obviously, he got in a bit of trouble um, about what he said, um, you know, we, we both laughed about it at the time, uh, but, you know, it, you know, may as well be paying touch then. Um, do you think, do you think he might be a liability um, for Wales in terms of his hot headedness? Obviously I remember last six nations or, or last autumn nations cup, I should say, where there was that incident with low and obviously that culminated over um, a number of games prior um, in, in the pro 14. So that, you know, there was, there was definitely priors to that, based on uh, an interview Lowe gave. Um, do you think he, he he could potentially be someone who, if things aren't going right, he might do something stupid? So I, what I don't want to do is go in and, and talk about Liam Williams, the man. I've, I've never met the guy, so I, I wouldn't want to offer an opinion on that. Um, what I would say is that it's interesting that he uses the comments, we might as well be playing touch, when he has played in a team with George North, who's suffered numerous concussions over the recent years. Um, and I think that it's a bit, um, bit of a stupid thing to say because he will he will understand the impact of that. Um, you know, there are arguments that the game is possibly a bit a bit softer, and I hate using that word, but you know that's the word that gets thrown around. It's a bit softer than it used to be. But is it softer, or are we just actually making sure that the players are able to remain fit and healthy and live long lives afterwards? We've all seen what's happened with guys like Doddy Weir, um, and I'll mention from from rugby league Rob Burrow the 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 deterioration on him over the last year with motor neuron disease is scary. And, you know, you don't want to see anything like that, but just to address your point about Liam Williams as, you know, the way he sort of behaves on a rugby pitch. Um, the shame of it is I, I went to um, Cardiff two years ago to watch England play Wales in, um, uh, in that game and England, you know, led were up in that game for 65 minutes and one of the main reasons why Wales won that game was actually because of the way Liam Williams played. He was absolutely outstanding in that game. One of the best performances I've seen from a fullback in a long, long time. When you go back to his performance against the, the New Zealand for the Lions in 2017, he, again, absolutely fantastic. You know, he set up the try, the, the, the tour um, in that first test. Um, so, yeah, I think as a player, he's fantastic, but he evidently has a problem with discipline. You know, this is, like you say, this isn't the first time. So when does... PVAC and when do the Welsh fans lose trust with someone like that? Like you said, he's such a talent. I don't see 
um, the Welsh losing patience with him. He's going to be one of those players who, um, unless he does something that, you know, forces uh, the ref to, to, you know, change the game completely like a, a red card and they end up losing, you know, the World Cup semi-final because of his, his um you know, actions, I think he'll always be one of the golden boys for Wales. And and rightly so, like you said, mate, he's what a player he is. Um and, and actually looking at, you know, that Welsh team, you know, uh, I don't want to pick out any players, but you know, Halamemos, you know, I, I think vast majority of the, the Welsh um contingent of fans would rather see Liam Williams there or um, you know, so, so, at least in the team somewhere. So interesting. Uh, it's a shame, obviously, he's not he's not been picked. Hopefully, we do see him this Six Nations, in my opinion. And um, sorry, before I rudely interrupted, I know you were going into Ireland. So um, yeah, what are your thoughts on Ireland? What are my thoughts on Ireland? That is a very uh, interesting question. Um, I think that there's an interesting undertone in this game, actually. Um, and you know, we're not just looking at two teams that have arguably, and um, one more so than one, sorry, one more so than the other. Um, when you look at teams that have struggled, uh, I think Wales are, are, are definitely struggling, and, and Ireland are sort of on the cusp of struggling, I think. But the undertone to that is, is two coaches coming under slightly different forms of pressure. So I think, you know, Wayne Pivak is certainly coming under pressure in terms of results, whereas I think. Uh, Farrell is coming under pressure in terms of performance. You know, Ireland are still winning games. They're just not winning them very well. And they don't they don't look particularly convincing when they do win them. Whereas for Wales, they're just not really winning games. Um, so they're, they're two slightly separate issues. Um, I think Ireland's big, big problem is that they peaked in 2018 when they beat the All Blacks. And they've not been able to replicate that ever since. And now they've got guys like Conor Murray, uh, Johnny Sexton, who ain't going to play much longer. Rory Best is now retired. Um, and I think that, you know, Ireland have had a real golden period this last 10, 12 years. And I just wonder, as an Irish fan, would I be concerned that that's possibly coming to an end? Yeah, really, really fair point. And, you know, I'm just going to pick out one player because um, it certainly surprised me. Um, but I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts because I know, obviously, most Irish fans really rate um, this this player. But uh, Keith Ells, um, do you think he should be included in uh, the starting 15? Well, I, you know, like you say, Keith Ells has been a fantastic servant to Irish rugby. Um, you know, my feeling is, um, you know, I'm not going to sort of contradict what I said earlier, where I think, you know, younger players should be given a chance, particularly um, when you've got an older player taking taking the spot like that. Um, I think, you know, Jordan Lama's exclusion is beyond comprehension for me. I cannot work out why that guy is not included in that 15. Um, to be on the bench as well. It's not even like he's not, you know, he's, it's not like he's unfit and he's, you know, he can't be in the squad. He's on the bench. I, I just cannot, I cannot work that out. But, you know, Andy Farrell must see something in Keith Earls that he prefers over Jordan Lama. That's all I can think. Yeah, for sure. And and again, I can only, I can only echo your sentiment there, mate. Um, Jordan Lama, what, what a player he is. Uh, let's, let's hope he, um, he really performs and, and, you know, gives a bit of a headache uh, to Andy Farrell whilst he's uh, selecting next week's game. Um, I suppose this sort of leads us on to the, the, the next point that we've been doing at the end of uh, each sort of segment. Who would be the two players that you would say, you know, for listeners to look out for? And uh, I suppose why? Uh, interesting. Um, so I think for Wales, I am actually going to pick out... Uh, Talupe Falatau. Um, I think he's, again, one of the best players I've ever seen. Um, and you, you'd think he was like 36 because it feels like he's been around forever, but just yeah. playing at that high standard for such a long time. Um, but I think he's a brilliant player. Um, he's found a bit of form again, so I'm really looking forward to seeing him play. I'd also like to give a bit of a shout out to Dan Lydia. Um, you know... <laughs> sort of the almost the elderly statesman back in the squad. And I mean, I know there's Alan Wynne-Jones, but he's played constantly throughout. But I don't think Dan Lydia has been included in a squad for seven or eight years. And, you know, he was part of one of those really good Welsh teams that won the Grand Slam um, a number of years ago. So it's, you know, sometimes it is nice to see a player like that back in, back in the squad. Um, and from Ireland, Ireland's a tough one. You know, I think, I think they're struggling, but I am interested to see what somebody like James Lowe might do. Because uh, I think you know he's probably actually their brightest prospect at the moment, um, and that that might be a little bit unfair. But for me, he feels like their brightest prospect. 
Yeah, what what a player he uh, he is in the Pro 14. And, you know, he, even that small spell that we saw him in in the Autumn Nations Cup when he uh, when he recently became eligible to play, um, he looked like one of the biggest attacking threats Ireland possessed um, at the time. So completely, completely understand why he picked him. Yeah, so I think, you know, we've gone gone for about an hour on this podcast now. And so I think we are, we are drawing to a close. Um, there is just one thing I wanted to ask you about the... Ireland game. Um, there's some interesting comments this week from um, some pundits in Ireland, and I, I think you've got the quote there. Um, do you think that could play against Ireland? Honestly, I think you know it's one of those things where they're they're, they're quite let's say strong comments. Um, Wales have been labelled a rubbish team um, that Ireland can totally annihilate. The, that's provocation. Like, that's that's not that's not something that I think Wales will um, will just sit there and, and and you know take. You know potentially there's that psychological element where you know they're seeing it's quite punchy um, a commentary on 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 how they've played. You know all of a sudden after a decade of being a complete pain in our ass, Wales are now rubbish. Stuff like that is. You know that could be damaging to players who already, you know, are so desperate for a win. And I think, you know, it's one of those things where it can either go one way or the other. You know, it could be that the players start reading stuff like that and they start doubting their their ability, uh, which would be a really, you know, sad thing to see. But it could go the other way, where you know Wayne Wayne Pivak just reads that out to them at the start of the uh, the game. You know, these these this is this is what the Irish public think of you. And, you know, that could have a galvanizing effect on the team. And, you know, that, that, that might, it's almost, it's almost like a symbiotic relationship. It just depends on how they react to something like this. Yeah, mate. I mean, I, I completely agree with you on that. It's, it's PVAC's team talks done. I would just print out and stick it up in the changing rooms and go have a read of that. And this is what, this is what Ireland think of you. And now I'm just, you know, in, in defense of these guys, I am almost certain that what they were saying is said in jest, you know, tongue in cheek. It's not meant to be, you know, uh, deliberately um, offensive or disparaging about Wales. But I think it, it it's it it could well be taken like that um, by the Welsh players and by the Welsh setup. Um, so I think you know, a bit silly really. So obviously uh, that game on on Sunday at three o'clock. Just before we sort of you know move into final thoughts, two players from you who you're looking forward to seeing. Um, I'm going to go for a really unconventional Ireland player. Um, and I say that, you know, not because he isn't a brilliant player, but because he's, he's probably a forward who got called up because of an injury. And for me, he's actually cemented his, his position. And that's Andrew Porter. Obviously, Eddie Jones has said some, uh, some interesting, um, you know, things during some interviews about his, his technique, maybe, uh, in the scrum, trying to sort of highlight maybe areas that uh, the refs might be penalising going into the, obviously a game against Ireland. But he is so dominant in the scrum. He is brilliant at set piece and he's mobile for a big lad. So, um, Andrew Porter, good luck, mate. Uh, really looking forward to seeing you play again. And then um, I'm really, obviously, you know, Wales back line, brilliant. Um, like I said, Dan Lydia. Justin Tipperick's been probably one of their best players for a couple of seasons now. And, you know, Fellas Hal come back into the team. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see sort of how um, how he fares. Obviously, they had a brilliant partnership, Tipperick and Falatau, in the Autumn Nations Cup. But one player that I'm really, really happy to see, and you know how big a fan I am of him, is Josh Navili. Um, really, really happy to see him. Albeit on the bench, I don't think he's 100%. Um, but, you know, Hopefully the big man has a good game because he's he's definitely someone who can uh, can can change um, you know the the feel and the aspects of um, that 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 breakdown. So yeah, really really looking forward to seeing him. Yep, uh, really looking forward to all three games. Um, so if you've made it this far into the podcast, I just want to say thank you very much for listening to Mike and myself chat for for about an hour now through all this stuff. Um, have you got any final thoughts before we wrap up? No, just really looking forward to uh, to a healthy competitive game. One last thing from me then. Uh, what's your predicted table, please? By and large, I think it's going to be England uh, and I'm confident enough to say Grand Slam. I think it will then be France, Scotland, 
Um, and then Ireland, Wales, Italy. And just to be different, uh, I'm going to say England. I'm going to agree with you on the Grand Slam. I'm going to say uh, France, Scotland, although I think, and I'm going to really upset my dad here, I think Scotland are dark horses for the tournament. I really yeah. do. Um, yeah, I then I think Ireland, Italy, Wales. Um, I think Italy have a very decent chance. If, if Wales get off to a poor start against Ireland, uh, they're going to be backs up against it. And I think, you know, it could spiral from there. And I think, it, it, you know, they, they could lose in Rome, particularly if Italy are up for it. Let's um, hope so. Yeah, so we'll see. Obviously, interested to get everybody else's thoughts on that. I'm sure you'll come back to me in a few weeks' time and say, Josh, a bloody idiot. Wales have finished third or whatever. And, you know, what crisis at Wales? <laughs> so so we'll see. But, you know, uh, please email us in. Um, we'll read some stuff out next week. If we if we get some nice stuff, I won't be reading out anything abusive. Um, although I'm sure that some of our friends will send us some abusive stuff because <laughs> that's what they do. Um, so, so we'll see. And, and just to remind you of, of where you can sort of uh, engage with us and um, we've got our um, email address which is the the rugby post at gmail.com um, and our twitter handle is rugby posts one and the post is with a zero um so i think that's it mate end of the first podcast um i want to thank you for joining me today um i've had a, i've had a really good time it's been it's been good to chat um hopefully we'll be back next week with some more stuff um so to finish with um i've been josh matthews um i've been joined by mike Pachetta. Uh, And that was rugby. Thank you very much.